Hello and welcome to the ePlan podcast. The ePlan podcast is a youth-driven, apolitical session held once a month with our distinguished emerging public leaders alumni network. Every month, we invite an alumnus to discuss topics on leadership, lessons, successes, and reflections on public service, and any other relevant trends on the African continent and beyond. My name is Andrew, and this podcast is brought to you by Emerging Public Leaders, a not-for-profit organization with the mandate of empowering the next generation of civil service professionals across Africa. Governments around the world function on an implicit social contract to provide public goods such as clean water, housing, immigration documentation such as passports, sanitation, health, security, etc. for their citizenry. It is vital for governments to provide these efficiently and cost-effectively. Over the years, African government's public goods and services delivery has faced numerous challenges given the ballooning population rate, rising urbanization, corruption among others. The rise of e-governance and artificial intelligence, AI, has started to put a meaningful dent in a number of these issues in Ghana and beyond. However, a whole baggage of issues such as privacy and ethics have also cropped up. How do we navigate this double-edged sword? What are the potential benefits and threats? How do we utilize it even more strategically to impact the lives of Ghanaians and Africans at large? To help explore this burgeoning topic, we have a special guest today. Mr. Abdu Dasana Gafaru Amin is an alumnus of EPL Ghana, Cohort 3, and currently works as an internal auditor at the National Cardiothoracic Center under the Ministry of Health. Hello, Abdu, and welcome to the ePlan podcast. Let's get straight into it. To start off, can you provide an overview of e-governance and its significance in the context of Ghana and African governments? Hi, Andrew. Uh, so nice to speak to you, and thank you so much for your question. Um, I think uh, providing an overview of e-governance and its significance in the context of Ghana and African governments is actually one of the topics we should be talking about right now. Governments across Africa and even the world are looking at um, e-governance and digitalizing their technologies. And e-governance is simply the use of information and technologies by governments to provide and enhance delivery of public services or whether to promote citizen engagement, improve transparency, or even manage internal um, operations. And these aspects are largely under the digital service delivery, the data management and security, and also government-to-government services. And bringing it to the context of Ghana, when you look at digital service delivery, uh, Ghana has made um, a lot of strides um, in these aspects in the last couple of years. We have the um, digitalization of the passport application process, we have the digitalization of the filing of taxes. And I think it's common knowledge that it's the process of obtaining a license has been somewhat digitalized. And when we talk about data management and security, we are talking about how government collect or, or even manage large volumes of data about its citizens and how they use it. And this, this is very evident with our Ghana card. But then when we talk about government to government service, I don't think a lot of people do know that Ghana, we have this smart, smart workplace that is supposed to kind of like bolster 
the exchange of information and enhance collaboration between government um, departments. I remember just recently, I needed information from the Ministry of Finance. And instead of going through all the bureaucratic processes, all I needed to do was to log into the smart, onto the smart workplace and contact the officer from whom I knew I could get that, that information from. And it made it a bit easier. So in essence, e-governance is just about kind of like making things easier for the delivery of government services for its people. Wow. Okay, so then my follow-up question then would be, do you think digitalization can address the issue of efficient public service delivery and even corruption? And also, how will that translate into economic impact? Absolutely, Andrew. When we look at um, statistics, on average, um, worldwide, countries that have the best efficiency levels when it comes to the delivery of their public services the approach they always use is to kind of like minimize human contact as much as possible. And this is something that I, 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 I was listening to um, a conversation um, about Estonia recently. And Estonia is being called the digital center of the world. And in Estonia, it's only three services that you would want from the government and that you couldn't get it digitally. And that was um, buying a real estate, going for a divorce, or even getting married. Those are the only three government services that you would need and wouldn't be able to get it um, digitally. And this, they have said, has contributed to the reduction of corruption totally, the elimination actually in Estonia. And by doing so, they have rid themselves of the systemic bureaucracy and eliminating avenues for individuals to cut corners. and. Going into the economic aspects of um, uh, e-governance, I think that's one of the key points or one of the key drivers that is driving that e-governance in Africa and Ghana, for instance. It is very important and pronounced that the economic benefits can be very uh, substantial. And by improving efficiency, by allocating more resources to digitalization, by promoting more e-government, e-governance services, you see that we are reducing corruption, thereby enhancing investor confidence, attracting foreign investments, and even creating conducive business environments. And you see that all of these things that I've mentioned contribute significantly to the economic progress of the country. These are actually external factors. And when we talk about the internal impact um, of um, e-governance itself, evidently sometime June last year, um, the Office of the President published that the digitalization of the passport application process alone had increased revenue collected from 1 million Ghana cities in 2017 to 56 million Ghana cities in 2022. That's just how many years? Five years. And we've been able to increase by over 500% the revenue that is collected by just by digitalizing passports. Also, in the President's State of the Nations address um, this year, uh, he mentioned that the digital transformation program by the by ECG has increased their revenue by 25%. These are all evidences that actually solidifies the economic impact of um, e-governance and digitalization on the economy of Ghana. Yes, 
we live in an environment where it's it's difficult for some to navigate, but that does not eliminate the benefits or the impact it has on our economy when it comes to revenue generation, when it comes to building investor in, um, um, confidence, when it comes to attracting more FDIs and creating a conducive environment for businesses. I think we 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 are actually understating its economic impact because we are not researching more into those external um, impacts. Excellent. Thank you for that, Abdul. So recently, AI has received a great deal of attention. This has resulted in mixed feelings stemming from fears of disruption in various sectors and yet positive anticipation on this revolutionary impact. What are your thoughts, first and foremost, on how AI might contribute to better public service delivery, and most importantly, how it might help public servants deal with burnout? Thank you very much for this question, Andrew. I'm actually glad this is coming out, burnout in the public service. As a public servant myself, I've I've gotten to stages where I have been worn (laughs) out. I, I felt that I didn't have energy. Even though most people do not believe that civil servants get overworked because they, they think we just sit in the offices. But the truth of the matter is that most of these civil service and public service offices are actually very fast paced and requires you to think beyond um, your immediate environment. Because sometimes whatever you think, whatever you pen down in that policy memo, remember it's impacting over 30 million Ghanaians. So it puts a lot of pressure. And now when we talk about how AI can um, help in that, I think the use of um, AI, especially generative AI in public policy and administration, has received very critical perspective on its risk. And some of the most pronounced, um, the more pronounced risks are the inundated concern about data security and privacy given the high sensitivity of the nature of our work and also risks that are tied to inaccurate information, um, that is misinformation or dis- disinformation, and how we are able to use these generative AI tools to filter policy memos when, in the first place, the prompts are wrong or there's bad research. These are some of the risks that comes with it. But I do, however, think there are still some ways that Generative AI could help synthesize our work, especially with tasks that can become quite repetitive and formulate, such as like maybe pre-drafting business cases, summarizing data from public or private consultations, creating presentations, or even drafting letters. In the civil service, that's one of the things we do a lot, responding to public correspondences, private correspondences. So I think these are some of the activities that generative AI can assist us as public service do and somewhat reduce the levels of burnout um, in, in, in public servants over the time. Wow. Thank you, Abdul. You've already alluded to a couple, but to expand a bit more on it, can you kindly tell us what potential concerns you see associated with the adoption of AI in governance and how can these risks be mitigated? Oh, thank you so much, Andrew. I think um, in, in my previous response, I did mention that the use of AI has um, raised concerns about data security and privacy. And I think 
that's that's it for me. That's one of the major, um, most critical considerations governments should should have because with this, governments must establish strong data pr- protection frameworks and implement secure data storage and transmission protocols because using these tools expose us to a lot of risk when it comes to data sharing, when it comes to the privacy of the data, the security, the attacks we are coming to receive just because of the data we have. So I believe setting up, there's a need for government to kind of like create a clear governance framework and ethical guidelines to address the responsible and accountable use of AI in e-governance. I think we should have that clear path and also those structures that are built to be able to um, counter all these um, attacks that we might encounter. One of the other risks that I do see is um, algorithm biases. I think on the global context, when we talk about algorithmic biases, mostly people um, um, cannot limit it to how it might affect uh, minority groups, how it might affect um, race, religion, um, sexual orientations and all that. But I think in our case as a country, if we do not have kind of like a very strong and robust um, AI system that is able to mitigate this risk, AI systems would definitely inadvertently kind of like discriminate against certain groups in our country. And to mitigate this, I suggest that Ghanaian government and to an extent African governments should ensure that there are diverse and representative data sets. I think that has been missing in, in, in some data sets that have been used to analyze um, using AI tools. So I believe if we have data sets that represent every aspect of our community and whilst implementing robust testing and auditing mechanisms for these algorithms, we can mitigate the risk of this algorithmic um, biases. And finally, um, a risk that is more pronounced, yet people do not really pay attention to. Even with ChatGPT, ChatGPT has taken over the world. Almost everyone, every single person I know has come in contact with ChatGPT and has used it for something. But people do forget that ChatGPT in some um, instances is not up to date and can sometimes provide information that may not represent the current situation and mislead people. So let's say I'm implementing a policy for the uh, the Ghanaian people, and I use ChatGPT to help me craft this policy. I am at the risk of using data sets that do not represent the dynamic nature of our community as a country. And I believe it is important that to mitigate this, Robust training should be conducted for public servants on how to approach these tools and how best we can um, use them without exposing ourselves to these kind of risks. Great insights and recommendations. Thank you, Abdul. So finally, do you think African governments can strike a balance between leveraging AI technologies for governance while ensuring data privacy and security of citizens? This this is a very, <laughs> really tricky question. It's very plain, but it sounds like something that would be that is very difficult because 
in as much as governments can set up structures, kind of like cybersecurity measures, kind of like en- 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 encryption, secure data storages. Remember, governments work with individuals in the country. Attackers might not affect um, attack the governments directly, but the individuals from an angle. So I think one of the best ways we can approach something like this is kind of like building transparency in data handling practices and obtaining informed consent from citizens. Because this, this I would want to liken to the situation where we had Ghanaians come out to complain that they've had instances where they check the registration of their SIMs and there are so many six or five numbers that are registered to the Arcana card. Meanwhile, they have no idea how the people were able to do it. So it leaves the citizens to ask the question, how secure is my information with the National Identification Authority? So until we kind of like build that transparency and seek the consent of the citizens, train them on how to best navigate these things. It would be very difficult because you can have the strongest cybersecurity network. You can have the best encryption codes. But if your people for whom they protect are not well informed or versed with the kind of information or the kind of actions they are supposed to take when some of these attacks get to them, then your system is still um, up for grabs. Just recently, I was on TikTok and I came across this video where it was it was a study actually where the CEO of a company um, contracted an AI specialist to use a generative AI tool to mimic her voice and contact her PA to get her passport number. The study was conducted. They used the AI tool to mimic her voice, used another AI tool to call the PA. And when they called the PA, it was the name of the CEO that that appeared. It's just like I'm seated here. Then my phone rings. I pick it up. It's the name of my boss that appears. I pick up the call. It's the voice of my boss that I'm listening to. And she asked, Abdul, can you give me my um, passport number? I think I've forgotten it. I could easily trust whoever is behind it because to me, it takes all the boxes. So I think it's important that governments collaborate with aspects in data privacy and how to kind of like train people in security to identify some of these challenges. Without that, striking a balance with data privacy and security of citizens would be very difficult because there needs to be a holistic understanding between all parties and partners involved in the pursuit of e-governance, whether through um, public service delivery, whether it be citizen engagement or even dissemination of um, public information. Powerful. Thank you, Abdul, for helping us explore this topic on AI and e-governance and all the powerful insights and recommendations you shared. Thank you. You're welcome, Andrew. And thank you so much for inviting me. And to speak on this um, topic, especially, I think, like you mentioned, it's, it's become a very important subject for us to talk about, especially within our contest, given that a lot of our population do not have 
that level of knowledge, that level of understanding, or even infrastructures to protect themselves or to easily access these e-governance tools that um, the government of Ghana and governments all across Africa are trying to pursue. And I hope you and your listeners find the conversation very exciting and informative. That brings us to the end of this episode. We hope you enjoyed this month's edition of the ePlan podcast. If you enjoyed our show, please rate and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And be sure to stay tuned for next month's discussion on the African Union's Agenda 2063 Development Blueprint, and in particular, a focus on its Goal 12's mission of capable institutions and transformative leadership. Once again, my name is Andrew, and don't forget at Imagine Public Leaders, we are empowering the next generation of civil service professionals in Africa. To support our not-for-profit organization, kindly visit our website at www.imaginepublicleaders.org to donate. Until we meet same time next month, I salute you all.